Hi, I'm so excited to introduce to you our first pillar, Sister Pat Wilson. As a young woman, I always looked up to her. I had such honor and admiration for her. I would sit at conferences and look at her and think, man, I hope that I'm that woman one day. A few years later, I would get the opportunity to spend a lot of time in Potts Camp, Mississippi, where I would then become friends with some of her daughters that are much, much, much older than me. I got the opportunity to go in her home and get to see her one-on-one -on -one and how she is each day. Sometimes when you look up to somebody and you get to spend real time with them, you get a different view of them and some of the admiration you have for them is lost. But I'm here to tell you that that same lady that you see in the altars and that you see preaching at these conferences is the same lady that she is at home. She's a dedicated pastor's wife, she's a dedicated mother, a prayer warrior, and the stories that she has to tell will uplift you and they always uplift the name of Jesus. I hope that you will take these stories and hide them in your heart. These women are our pillars and their stories are our monuments. If we ever fail to tell their stories, what they have built will crumble. These are their diaries. First of all, let me say I was actually raised in a pastor's home. My dad was a pastor in West Tennessee. I lived there up until the time that I married Brother Wilson. Um, so at a very early age of uh, very young, seven or eight years old, I was baptized and I received the Holy Ghost when I was eight years old. I can still remember the dear sister that was praying with me, even though I was eight years old when I received the Holy Ghost. So my life has really been in the church. You know, it's always been a part, the major part of my life has been the church. So I went on and I was in the church where my dad pastored. But at the age of 15, I can remember coming to a crossroads. You know, as you grow into being a teen, uh, you start having to make some decisions for yourself. Up until that time, my parents had always directed me. They led me, and in other words, they told me what I was going to do and not do. But I remember at 15, I was still under their authority, but there were some decisions as a teenager that I had to make on my own. I can remember the day as clearly as it was yet if it was yesterday how I came to a crossroad and I made a choice and at that time at 15 years old even though I'd had the Holy Ghost all the time as a child I made a decision that day that I was fully totally selling out to God there was not going to be another life serving God was going to be my life and I made that decision at 15 and I have never looked back. You know, uh, I've heard the saying, it's not just a way of life. The church is the only way of life that really matters. So I've been serving the Lord since I was 15 years old, fully. Uh, I started immediately into youth work at my local church. I did that. I was kind of, my dad, uh, both of my brothers were older two brothers that were older and a sister younger. And so my brothers were not there. And my dad, being as a pastor, you know how the pastor kind of depends on his family to, to kind of help carry the load? Well, my dad depended on me. And, and you know, that, that was great. And we didn't have a whole lot of musicians in the church. So I can remember at 12 years old, I started playing the piano and I surely wasn't an accomplished musician at all, but I learned, you know, I had taken music as a child, but I had to learn by ear on my own, but I had to do it. Now, they had other instruments, but they needed a keyboard. So, back in those days, a piano. And uh, so I learned to start playing in church at 12 years old. So dad really depended on me, and uh, a lot of times I, I've, uh, wondered he depended on me so much that he was so thrilled that I married into the ministry married brother Wilson he was thrilled he loved him uh, he was great but had I known that my dad was only gonna live two years 
I don't know that if I would have left quite as soon, I would have married the same and all of that. But knowing that dad, I didn't know, have any idea that my dad would be gone at age 50 while he was still pastoring. Um, and sometimes I've regretted not being there for him those last two years, but I know it was all in the will of God. So um, that's where it came. And in 1971, um, Brother Wilson and I married. We had known each other. The first time I saw Brother Steve Wilson, I was 12 years old. He was 15. We didn't speak, but I saw him at a conference at my local church. My dad and his dad, Brother Wilson, were all both in the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. So therefore, our paths crossed, you know, during conferences. So he and his dad had come to our church for a conference, and I actually remember him being there. Um, I don't know why I remember that. <laughs> I guess a 12-year-old kid just was you know, getting acquainted with, just starting to look at boys. And so um, then at age 17, and he was 20, uh, we met officially at Brother Don Johnson's church in Memphis. I was singing in a trio, and our trio had actually gone to the church to sing that night and our youth choir from our church. And the Wilsons came up, because they're only an hour from Memphis. And so we, they came up for that service. And uh, he officially came up to me and introduced himself. And uh, we didn't actually date a lot. Uh, that's so unusual. We, wrote, we lived 130 miles apart. So he was busy with the Wilson Brothers Quartet. He was singing with his brothers and they travel. So we really never saw each other that much. We would write occasionally, maybe every two months or three months. Sometime I would get aggravated because I didn't hear from him. <laughs> but anyway, um, that went on for two and a half years. And then officially uh, he got serious. I think he felt like I was getting serious with somebody else and we both had felt. He said the night he saw me in Memphis at age 17 and he was 20, he said he knew that night and he said to himself, I'll marry her someday. He knew it yeah. and, and that was so ironic because I felt the same thing. And I thought, uh, you know, how's this gonna work? How's this, how, what's God's plan, you know? And a few times I think I got a little discouraged thinking, God, it, uh, is what you've made me feel really real? But let me, let, me encourage, let me encourage young women that are not married. I prayed, I prayed every night for as long as I could remember in my teenage years. God, I want your perfect will for my life. I don't want to mess up, God. I was so sincere because I didn't want to marry the wrong person. I felt like God had a calling on my life. And I was so, I guess I had a little fear of messing it up. I just wanted God, you direct me, you lead me. You know, shut the, shut the wrong doors and open the right ones. Let me know. I've got to have the feeling that I know I'm in the will of God. And I felt that so desperately. And um, I think that's one reason the Lord kept me. I had other opportunities, and some of them were good opportunities, good guys, in the church and still in the church today. But it wasn't the perfect will for my life. So I think it's, it's so important for young men and women, don't get in a hurry. Let God direct you. And if you turn your life fully to Him like I did at the age 15, let me assure you, He will guide you. He'll lead you in the right direction. So when it happened, it happened so quickly. It astounded me. Um, he came to my home for a date in February. We were married March, May the 15th. And that's a little unreal, I know, for some people, but we had been corresponded we knew each other's family we knew each other's family we knew a lot about the background now to say I really knew him well I don't think anybody really knows their spouse until they marry them but um, I didn't know everything about him but I knew he had been in the church his entire life 
I knew he had served God. I knew he had a family that served God. I don't know. I felt very comfortable. And I think when you're in the will of God, he gives you that peace. He lets you know you're, you're doing the right thing. Uh, if you're not in the will of God, I believe there will be some kind of uneasiness. You really won't feel at peace with what you're doing. So I felt at peace. And our journey began in May of 1971. And it's... Uh, it's been a journey. Well, let me say this. At all my life as a young child, I had a fear of God. Sometimes I felt like it was an unhealthy fear. It's sometimes because I would be afraid. And I always had this fear of not being saved, even as a young child. And would you believe that even then, up until up until I was a late teenager, it was like every Sunday night when we had an evangelistic service, I was going to be in the altar. I was going to make sure I was ready. I was that conscientious about it that I wanted to be ready so badly that I would go every Sunday night. I was afraid not to go. I wanted to make sure I was prayed through, you know. So, but at the age of 15, and I know that's a young age, 15, but my mind was made up at 15 years old. I knew I wasn't looking back. I, this was the way of life that I wanted to have and wanted to choose. And so at that time, I made that decision and uh, I've never looked back. Well, you know, when, you're st when I went to Potts Camp as a young bride, Brother Wilson was already working full time at the Bethlehem Church. He began full-time in 1968. We married in 1971. So he was full-time. So I immediately was thrust into the church work, you know. Um, I did for, for probably a couple years and a half, I did work a, a public job um, until I was expecting our first child. But I, I immediately started teaching, you know, um, being involved in the music and singing. So I immediately started working in the church there in 1971. And then, as Brother Wilson, he went from assistant pastor to associate pastor. Then he went to pastor, senior pastor, now bishop. So we've been through all the stages of that church. And I've had many many ups and downs uh, trials. I can remember one particularly in the year of 1986. It was a horrible trial for Brother Wilson and I. And we, uh, it was affecting me emotionally, physically. It was such a great trial. I can't go into depth, but um, I need, we both needed an answer. We needed, we needed God to come through for us. And I can remember, I felt like that I was almost to where I just couldn't deal with it anymore. And Brother John Voskis was a young evangelist, probably 18 or 19 years old. He came through and he preached at our church on a Wednesday night. I can remember exactly what he preached. He preached, the title of his message was Where the Besieged Find Rest. If I ever knew at that moment, I knew God knows where I'm at. He talked to me directly. He had not a clue what Brother Wilson and I was going through. It was like he was talking to nobody in that building but us. And when he did, a peace came over me like I have never felt before. A peace came over me. I knew right then, this is gonna be all right. And consequently, it worked out. Everything was fine. God just handled it. It was amazing. It was an absolute miracle. Uh, that's one I'll never forget. And a lot of times, when you're facing other trials, of course, that wasn't the last one, but as you're facing other trials down the road, you can always look back and think, God, that's a landmark. God did this for me then, and he'll do it again, you know. 
um, as far as uh, we not when I was um, we were just having our last child, Carla. Uh, two, I guess, three weeks before she was born, Brother Wilson was diagnosed with diabetes, which was a real blow. Um, it changed our lifestyle. It changed my our eating, my cooking. Everything changed at that point. And it was a load because um, we just had a new baby. And then three weeks later, we were hit with this. We'd had a six-week revival. Um, after she was born, and here I was playing the organ every night, six weeks, I mean, a little tiny baby. Uh, my husband was sick. We were still navigating our way through all that, you know, learning everything about diabetes and all this. And we had that six-week revival, and I got sick. I emotionally, physically was drained, and I can remember the night on a Wednesday night that I totally collapsed. I collapsed. I could not get up. Um, so I'll say for the next year, it was a trial of our life there because they diagnosed me with several different things. They thought I had Addison's disease. They thought I had different things. Come to find out, my adrenaline in my body had just gone down dangerously. I mean, I didn't have any left. The adrenaline, the push was gone. And so once they realized the problem and I got better, you know, but that was a hard, hard year. Uh, very difficult. It was very difficult on my husband because he had to deal with me <laughs> and I wasn't feeling good and I had three small children. So that was a difficult time and the Wilson family proved to be such a lifesaver to me during that time. Uh, they helped me with my children because here I was, you know, playing the organ, teaching and all of that with three children. So they were a great blessing to me. But you probably know um, the greatest trial of our life was losing our son. There's no words for that. You know, I, I, I look back now, it was 22 years Sunday. This past Sunday, he was 23 years old, had been youth pastor one year. He worked in our Christian school, school as a coach. And when he left us that Sunday, uh, after Sunday school, he and some Bible school boys went swimming, you know, real close to us, four miles from us. Uh, it's one of those things uh, that you think, think will never happen to your family. I never dreamed I would ever lose one of my children. They were my life. I invested my life in those kids. They were, they were my life. And when we lost him, it was our only son. Uh, he was doing such a great job and worked for the Lord. You know, when he first went to Bible school, he went to college there at home for two years. Then when he transferred to Bible school, he actually went in as a music major. But I'll never forget the night that he called me on a Saturday night. We knew he had a calling, but we would never tell him. And on Saturday, one Saturday night, he called, and I used to tease him. I'd say, Patrick, you're the only boy in IBC that talks to his mother every day. <laughs> but we always checked in because another trial that I missed telling you about a few minutes ago was Patrick was diagnosed as a diabetic at age 12. That was a trial because we knew what he was going to face because of what his dad had gone through the previous years. So that was a trial that we really had to overcome. And then we fought that for a long, long time to, to get him leveled out and, and doing good. But he was, he was, you know, you don't, you don't want to say your child was um, perfect. He wasn't perfect. But he was as close to it as you could get. He never gave us one minute of unrest or worry I knew the boy was going to serve God. He just, he loved God. He loved people. He was one of the most people-loving 
persons I'd ever seen in my lifetime. He loved them. He was such a blessing to our older people in church and to kids. They all loved him because he was just a people person. So you can imagine when in just a moment, I mean, it was just a moment, and I was talking to him after church and hugging him and telling him bye, and he'd all, he, would, he wanted to go with the Bible school boys to eat that Sunday. We were taking an evangelist out that was going to preach that night for us. And, you know, just for a moment's time in your entire life has changed. Uh, people have said, Brother Wilson said this back then. He said, you know, you can be a widow or a widower if you lose your companion. If you're a child and lose your parents, you're an orphan. But when there's no word for when a parent loses a child. That's the closest thing to your heart because they're part of you. And when we lost our son, um, I didn't know if I'd ever smile again. I didn't feel like I'd ever be happy. How could I be happy when I'd lost my son? You know, you think that way because you're in such deep grief. And uh, that's that's just the greatest. I don't. I wouldn't wish that on anybody. Anybody to lose their child. Um, it rips your heart out, your soul. It just seems like it takes, just drains you of everything. And I can remember thinking, how are we going to go on? And I can remember the day of his funeral service, memorial service. And that night, Brother Wilson and I were sitting out on our front porch. And all of the young people, he had been a youth pastor, so they were all out on the steps of the church together. You know, they needed each other. They were all hurting, but they needed each other. And when they were sitting out there, we could hear them talking and laughing. And I can remember how crushed I was. I was thinking, how can they laugh? How can they laugh? And, and you know, you, then you realize their life's got to go on, you know. You can't feel bad. Their life has got to go on. And I understood that, and I didn't, I, I, I never held that against them or anything, but it was just the way I was feeling at the time. I didn't know if I'd ever laugh again. But anyway, that, that was the hardest thing we went. And we went almost 10 years, I guess it was. Well, let me say this. My husband was in such grief over losing Patrick that I had to be strong for him. My husband went to that cemetery three to five times a day for three and a half years. I couldn't take the cemetery. I just couldn't, I couldn't go. It just would rip my heart out. I, I just told him, Patrick's not out there. So I don't want to go, you know, but to him, he knew that's where his body was placed. And it, so we allowed each other to grieve in our own way. We grieve so differently. And a lot of couples make the mistake of when they lose a child, they don't allow the other one to grieve as they want to, and they begin to re resent each other's grief. And that can cause a barrier, and consequently, almost 90% of parents that lose a child end up in divorce. And that's, I think that's the reason, is because they feel like, I'll never make that person happy. They're not gonna be happy, you know. So, um, but anyway, we, we went through that. Brother Wilson then had open heart surgery 10 weeks after we lost Patrick. So that was a year. Uh, it was unbelievable. 10 weeks after we buried our son, he had open heart surgery. So there I was again having to take care of him and I couldn't properly grieve. Six months after we lost Patrick, our oldest daughter was getting married. She had become engaged 10 days before we lost Patrick. So she was planning a wedding, and I was needing to help her do that. So it was just a very traumatic, it's a very traumatic year. Well, Patrick, as I said before, was a very unique young man. He was so, he was so sensitive. He was sensitive to God. He was sensitive to the needs of people. And he was serving as youth pastor and coach. Um, he he went with the Bible school boys that day out to a lake 
to swim. Well, they really just had sea-doos and different things they were doing. I didn't even know they were going to swim. And the people said that he got to, he and his cousin and another young man from Michigan uh, were out in the lake, and he actually wasn't swimming across the lake or anything. He was just swimming a little corner of the lake, going from one side to the other. And his cousin said that Patrick spoke up and said, I can't make it. And he said, Patrick, are you having a, a, an insulin reaction? Which they thought he might be. He said, no. And Patrick knew what an insulin reaction felt like. So he said, um, no, but I can't make it. And the boy, the cousin, went back and tried to help him and struggled trying to keep him up. Uh, I actually, in my mind, I really felt like Patrick had a heart attack. Um, that's what it seemed to because he'd had two previous spells a few weeks before that were kind of a warning and we tried our best to get him to the hospital but he just did not want to go to the hospital but the finally you know it was either going to drown both of them so the other boy had to push off and the other boy I don't know what happened to him if he could get up there or not they couldn't get one sea dew to start nothing nothing could go right we just knew um, it was the will of God it, it, it God took him. Uh, that's the only explanation I've got. Um, I could go into detail of things that happened on the first anniversary and second anniversary that let us know God just took him. And the last thing that anyone saw of Patrick was that he had his hands lifted straight up. And um, they got us over there within a few minutes just a short few minutes since it was only four four miles from us. So when I say, you know, I, we were pray, we were just frantic. It was such horrible. I I can't hardly think about it. You know, it just tears me up. It's almost like I was clawing the ground and the trees and everything else, trying to pray and believe against what was happening. You know, but. Uh, it was they found his body within an hour a uh, little over an hour and all of that to me right now happened so quickly and so fast and i was in such shock that i can't remember every detail but every now and then things comes back to me that happened that day that i have to relive and i constantly relive being there at the lake and that's the reason that 22 years later, I've never gone back there. Last year, for the first time, my husband and our two son-in-laws, they went with him over there to support him, but he wanted to go, and he did, and they both went with him. And I've just never wanted to go back. But God has been so good to me through this that at one year and two years, he let me know through a dream on the first anniversary. And on the second anniversary, he gave me a phone call from someone that had had a vision of that day that didn't even know what happened. They knew, they knew Patrick. They knew not how he died or, you know, anything. And they had a vision of him. And in this vision, they said they saw this body of water and they didn't know what in the world. They didn't recognize the place. They'd never been there. So the person asked the Lord, what are you trying to show me? And they said they looked at that lake and out of that lake they could see two hands raised up. And she, the lady said, she told the Lord, I still don't know what you're trying to show me. And she says, as I looked at that lake again, she said, two great big hands just came down and took hold of those hands and just took him. She said, the voice said, that was Patrick Wilson. And she called me. She'd never called me before. And she said, I had the most awesome vision, and it was your son. And she said, the Lord said, nobody at the lake that day saw my hands, but Patrick did. You talking about doing something for this mother. I think it was just... 
It was just the Lord's way of confirming to me like he did in the dream. Patrick spoke to me at the one-year anniversary. I saw him, and he just said, Mama. He always called me Mama. The other girls was Mother and Mom, but he was Mama. He said, Mama, I'm all right. And I think the Lord just confirmed it to me again. He just wanted me to know your son's all right. He's in the hands of the Lord. And what better hands could you be in than that of the Lord's? So that's really what happened. And that was, you know, that was just the greatest trial of our lives. But let me tell you a little something. Ten years after we lost Patrick, we were going down the road one day driving, and we were both just weeping that day. For some reason, it was one of those days, and we were weeping over our son. And I looked at Brother Wilson, and I said, Why us? Why did it happen to our family? Why us? Everything was perfect. I felt like, it, I mean, life was wonderful and beautiful. Our three children was wonderful. They all served the Lord. And I thought, why us, God? And Brother Wilson, it, it kind of angered me a little bit. He looked back at me and he said, why not us? Who are we to exempt, be exempt from problems, you know? And that night, lying in bed, the thought hit me. We have got to help other parents that have lost children some way. We've got, and Brother Wilson told me that day in the car, he said, Pat, we can't afford to waste our storm. And I've never forgotten that. We had to make something good come out of our loss. And that's how the Loss of Child Network was born. And that's how that we have a retreat yearly for parents that have lost children. And we've seen people come from states all across America. And they leave there with hope. They leave there knowing they can make it. If somebody else make it, made it, I can make it. And you know what Brother Wilson says, that's one thing that helped him get through. He saw other ministers that had lost their children and they'd made it. So he said, if God can do it for them, he can do it for us. And it's been God that's kept us. But that was our greatest trial. Well, first of all, let me tell you what helped me. We, we buried our son on a Tuesday afternoon. Wednesday night, we went back to church. One of the hardest things I believe I've ever... I have ever done was walk inside that church that night because everywhere I looked I saw my son you know so but we went that night we raised our hands we worshiped God and I can honestly say worship probably brought me through the worst stages I, and let me let me emphasize this the worst thing anyone could do that has lost a child is seclude themselves. You can't isolate. You've got to be with other people. At the same time, you know, just a few days after we lost our son, it was just a week and a half, maybe 10 days, something like that. Brother Wilson was elected general superintendent of the Assemblies of the Lord Jesus Christ. Can you imagine? Brother Johnson was kind enough to stay on and help for three months because of Brother Wilson's grief. You know, he felt like he just, and uh, the worst thing we could have done was to isolate. So I would encourage anybody that's going through it, be open to friends that try to help. Um, I had friends that they, they didn't ask us, do you want to go eat? They came to the house and just picked us up and said, we're going out for dinner, you know. And I had to go. I didn't want to. I was cringing inside. I don't want to talk to anybody. But that's the worst thing that could have happened to me is if I had secluded myself, quit talking, not have been around people, and then back to the fact that we saw others going through the same thing. And we thought, we've got to make it. Well, and I tell you, what, what propelled me on was, you know, I want to see my boy again. I want to make it to heaven. I know where he's at, and I've got to make it. 
and I can't make it by quitting like you feel like doing. You just, you just want to quit, get away from people, seclude yourself, and I guess, I guess the term just wallow in your grief because that's how you feel. But that's the worst thing you can do. So us keep going, having to go forward, we were forced to go forward. But that was a good thing for us. We had to do, we had to see people. And so, our, and our church family was so supportive. We had an awesome, an awesome church family that supported us. They were grieving with us. They loved Patrick. I mean, he was dear to all of them, so they grieved too. And they grieved with us. And having other people, that's why I encourage people to come to the loss of child, not because we're doing it, but you see everybody in that big room that's in a circle, every one of them are going through what you're going through. And it's just something about seeing other people that are going through the grief that you're bear, bearing and enduring just makes you know, you know, I've got some support here. I've got some hope. I think everybody that comes to that leaves with a hope. I tell you, that was today, that's still my favorite scripture. Isn't it amazing how you read scripture all of your life, but just the circumstance that you're in brings that scripture alive to you. I've read that scripture in Philippians 4 and 7 all of my life. But a lady, uh, Sister Madonna Massey, uh, was a friend of the girls, and she sang in the girls' weddings, and she also sang at Patrick's memorial service. But she told me, she said, she quoted that scripture to me, and she said, and the peace of God which passeth, E-T-H, it passeth all understanding. She said, Pat, when something passes something, what do they do? I said, they go around it. You pass a car, you go around that car. She said, that's what the peace of God does. You're saying to me, you don't understand. Why would God take my son? Why would, maybe yours is not the loss of a child, but maybe it's another trial of your life. Maybe it's divorce. Maybe it's abuse. Whatever it is, the peace of God passes understanding. We'll never understand. I'm no closer to understanding why God took my son today than I was 22 years ago. I don't know the answer. The Bible says, the secret things belongs to the Lord. I've had to leave it with Him. I'll never understand it here. But the peace of God goes around me not understanding. And it keeps my heart. And it not only keeps my heart, it keeps my mind. It keeps my mind at peace. And that scripture has become so dear to me. It'll always be my favorite scripture because it ministered to me at the time that I needed it the most. You know, living for the Lord, Sister Ashley, is, it is the most rewarding life. I'll use your word. It is the most rewarding life. Um, first of all, living for God, as you said, is a choice we all make. We all, we all have a choice to make. And as the old saying goes, with every choice comes consequences. So whether it's a good choice or a bad choice, it has its rewards. If you choose the wrong thing, you suffer the bad consequences. But if you choose serving God, first of all, it's the happiest life you can live. Uh, serving God's brought me so much happiness. I've been happier. I, I just, I love serving God because I enjoy His presence. It's like you've got somebody you know that's with you all the time. You don't have to fear. You know you're in the hands of your father and he loves you more than I love Patrick. He loves me. And so he's gonna take care of me. Knowing God is such a peace of mind. I think one of the greatest attributes of serving God is the peace of mind that you get. You don't have to go to bed at night and wonder, oh, what if the Lord comes tonight? Or what if something happens to me tonight? 
you've got such a peace. There's no amount of money that could buy that peace. No amount could buy the peace of God that you have in your heart. And I just think that's so awesome to have that peace and to have the happiness and have the joy. And I think one of the benefits I've seen serving the Lord is that in serving the Lord, you have the ability to influence others to serve God and your family. You are the greatest influence on your family. And to see my family staying in the church, serving God, raising their families in the church, you can't, you can't buy that. That's such a joy. What's the scripture say? There's no greater joy than to see your children walk in truth. My two daughters and son, I mean, they brought us so much joy serving God, watching them develop their relationships with God. And today seeing my two girls raising their families in the church and their children serving the Lord and doing a work for God, it does something to this grandma's heart. I mean, there's nothing like seeing your family serving the Lord besides having peace. Well, the Bible tells us the Holy Ghost brings us peace and joy. There's so much peace and joy in serving God. It's I've always told people that were looking at the church and trying to make a decision that they really want to sell out to God. I've said, you'll never be disappointed in your, your choice to fully sell out to the Lord. I said, God can... He'll, you know, God won't owe us anything. He's going to bless you abundantly. Uh, we may not have everything we would desire, but God will give us what we need. If you put your life in His hands, He'll always supply the needs. And that's, that's, a, that's a comfort in knowing. And I've got to the place where I know that whatever comes my way, I'm, I belong to the Lord, and He's going to take care of me. And the Bible said He would not put more on us than we could bear. With, with every temptation, He'd make a way of escape. So God's going to be with us regardless. Maybe everything's not pleasant. Maybe everything's not the best or the way we thought it would work out. But He'll always do what's best for us. Uh, I always tell people, God's got your best interest at heart, and He wants you to succeed. God wants you to be happy. He wants you to have a good family. He wants you to enjoy living for God. Uh, I can look right now in our local church at people, at young couples that's totally sold out to God and how happy they are and, and how the Lord's worked out their family situations, even restored marriages, uh, saved their children. And then you look at opposite of people that made the wrong decision. You see the contrast. There's no comparison. There's no comparison. I always said that. That was one of my sayings in teaching marriage classes and everything. The church can never resurrect what the home puts to death. We've got to have it in our homes. Well, I would have to say uh, I've been privileged to have a mother that served God my whole life. She's been in the church from the time I was born. I didn't know any other life, you know. So my mother was a pastor's wife. So I had her influence up until I was almost 21 when I married. So she was a, she was a real example. My mother was a worker. She was faithful. Um, she, was, she was always knew her place and how to stay in her place. She taught me, um, she taught me the value of service, being a servant, serving the people. You know, we're a servant to the people of God in the ministry. And um, she taught me that all of my life. So she was a powerful influence. She taught me how to pray. She was a prayer partner with me up until she died um, in, in 2017 at 92. And she was still my prayer partner. We could we talked every day, and she would you know we prayed about things together. Uh, she could always still give me advice, uh, and I loved it. I loved it. We had such a close relationship, and I saw her at age 49 become a widow, and I saw how she faithfully served God even after her husband died at age 50. Uh, all of us children were grown. But still, she was such an influence on all of our lives. And uh, 
the woman, she was the kind of, of a person, Ashley, that she, you never heard her talking about anybody else. It was always good. She taught us, if you can't say something good, then just keep your mouth shut. And she was always so encouraging. And let me tell you a trait that she had that we all laugh about it now, but it was so, it was so good because it, it showed what her focus was. No matter who she heard preach, that's the best message she ever heard. And then the next one would be the best message she ever heard. She loved the Word, and I could not, there is no telling how many times that woman read the Bible through. She loved the Word, and she loved preaching. She put that in me. I love the Word, and I love to hear the Word preached. And so she taught me, she was such a powerful influence on my life. She was a godly woman. I never had to worry about her. She never wavered. She was always the same. Consistency. It was so important in my life, and she brought that. She brought consistently serving God. It wasn't up and down, you know, in and out, but she consistently served God, and she taught me that, and then I was blessed when I got married. I had an awesome mother-in-law that was a minister's wife, and I sat on a little stool, and at, she sat in a rocker recliner, and she and I would converse and talk and she was such a powerful mentor in my life, you know, the last years that she was, was still around. And so I've been blessed to have, have such godly mother and godly mother-in-law, and they, they've been the, the most wonderful female influences in my life. Well, I don't want to be repetitious, but I would tell them, serving God, is the best life you could ever choose. You'll never regret making a choice for you and your family to serve God. You will not have any regrets. Um, I would encourage people, give yourself totally. You know, it's a difference in saying, oh, I belong to this church, or I go to this church, I'm a member of this church. It's a difference in that than in totally selling out to God and saying, I'm not going to only be in the church, I'm going to serve you. You know, um, there's a difference in being a member and serving God. This scripture lately has been on my mind. I, I, I just, I've written it down in my journal and I've talked about it in my journal. Um, when the Lord on Resurrection and Judgment Day it said that he would say to those on the right, Well done, thou good and faithful servant. It's one thing to be good. There's a lot of good people in the world. But to be faithful to God, that's a different story. That's a different story. We're not only going to have to be good, we're going to have to be faithful. And did you know that when we get to the judgment, Everybody's going to be on equal ground, and he calls all of us servants. And if we're going to hear those words, we're going to have to serve him. So my advice would be to people, serve God wholly. Sell out to him. Uh, you'll never regret it. And the benefits, they once said, out of this world. <laughs> because it'll take you out of this world someday. Uh, I just, I just don't want couples, it seems like we're living right now, Sister Ashley, in a day when it's so easily to get sidetracked with so much cares and pressures. We're feeling more pressure than we ever felt from the outside, you know, and probably from here on out, we're going to actually have more persecution of the church than we've ever thought about facing. We've had it easy. You know, nobody really persecuted us because of our belief. You might have got laughed at sometime for something, but it was minor. You know, it was nothing. But from now on, we're going to be separated. And we're going to be a separated people. And if we hold up the name of Jesus and stand for the name of Jesus and the plan of salvation, we're going to be the oddballs, you know. And we may suffer persecution. But I promise you this, we'll make it through.
You know, Brother Wilson preached a message one time that affected me so much. He said, on the other side of through. God don't always prevent us from going through things, but he always takes us through them. I have that promise. It may not be perfect today, but I'm going to get through this. I'm going to make it through this. So on the other side of through, there's a blessing waiting. There's a blessing waiting. And God, as I said before, he won't owe us anything. You won't raise one hand and say hallelujah that he's not going to bless you. He's going he's gonna to bless his people. He's going to keep us. And God's always, the Bible teaches, he's always had a remnant. He's always going to have a church. We're not predestinated, but the church is. And it's our choice whether or not we want to be in the church. And if we do, we have that desire to be in the church. He's going to take care of us. And I believe that with all my heart. A lot of people are so worried about the end time. Oh, what are we going to face? This, there's concern. You know, I'm I'm concerned, not that I'm nonchalant about it, but I feel confident that whatever it is, God's going to take care of His church. So my main concern just needs to be, Pat, you keep yourself in the church and you're going to be okay. And I believe that wholeheartedly. And that's a consolation for all these people out in the world. If they knew that the church is their safety, it's their safe place. I thank the Lord for that so many times in the prayer room. I said, God, I thank you for being my safe place. The church is my, my place I feel safe. You're going you're gonna to keep us. So uh, I think they just, just need to see that that's so rewarding to know that you don't have to worry about the future. Naturally, you can be concerned about your family, but you don't have to worry about it. Why worry, the, I've heard, when you can pray? You know, that's right. That's right. So we just need to worry about keeping ourselves in the church because that's the most rewarding life you will ever have on this earth.